Thank you, Kevin and Matthew. That was that was great and and uh, really just even helpful for me as I come to bring you a a really a serious message from the Word of God this morning. We're in Ephesians five verses three to six, and if you would, uh, you could open your Bibles there, Ephesians chapter five. Last week we looked at a wonderful text on love in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And today we're going to look at the, the rest of the section in verses 3 to 6. And, and really it's, it's a frightful passage. And I, I hope that it will be a bit of a frightful sermon to go with it. I called this sermon a warning to the unloving. A warning for the unloving. And, and it really is quite a warning in our passage. Let's, let's read it together starting in verse 1 again, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That was our text for last week. Today, again, verses 3 to 6. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper for saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, as we begin this morning, I, I, wanna, I want you to notice a few contrasts. First of all, there's a, there's a contrast between love in verses 1 and 2 and ways that are not love in verses 3 to 6. Immorality impurity, covetousness, and rude forms of speech are are in many ways the opposite of love. And then second, there's, there's two types of children mentioned in our passage. There's the beloved children in verse one. And these were children who were blessed by their parents and who followed the example that their parents set. And that was an illustration then of how we're to be imitators of God and walk in love. These beloved children are are the children of God, and they imitate God by walking in love, and they imitate God by walking as Christ walked, which is, again, in love. But then there's another child mentioned in our text. These are in verse 6, and they're called the sons of disobedience. And God is not their father, and they are not beloved children. Their, Their father is disobedience. And their relationship with God is a relationship with his wrath. And so here's why I called this a frightful sermon, because this text shows that a lack of love in these ways, in immorality, in impurity, or in covetousness, shows that we have no inheritance in the kingdom of, God, of Christ and God. And so if these things mark our lives, then we are really on our way to hell. 
We are on our way to hell. If these things are characteristic of us, we are not children of God. We are sons of disobedience. And so Paul here makes a distinction between believers and unbelievers, between those destined for the kingdom and those destined for the wrath of God in hell. And if Paul is making this distinction in our text, then really God is making this distinction for us this morning. And what could be more serious? What could be more serious? What what could be more important than for us to consider which category we belong to? Are we believers or unbelievers? Paul says in verse 5, you may be sure of this. And so here is something certain for us. Everyone, and note that word again, everyone described in verse 5 has no inheritance in the kingdom. And then he says in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. God knows that there's going to be people who are going to try to deceive us on these issues. Now this sermon kind of fits well with another thing that's going on. Um, A few weeks ago on January 15th, I believe it was, a number of pastors across Canada participated in, in what we called the Biblical Sexuality Sunday. And this is the second year of of Biblical Sexuality Sunday. And on that day, those who participated were going to preach what the Bible teaches on gender, sex, marriage, and similar things like that. And, and you'll remember we began this last year in response to Bill C-4 that the government passed. Now, on January 15th, I didn't participate this year, and, and I didn't do that partly because I, I really don't like leaving our regular study. Um, I, I like just working through books of the Bible, and that'll kind of give us the right balance on on what we should preach. I'm not a huge fan of topical preaching, as you know. Um, even even topical preaching in response to the pressing issues of the day. But another reason that I didn't participate this year, that our church didn't participate, is that I knew that this text was coming up soon anyways. Now, I didn't know... I thought it was going to come up last week, but I ended up only getting through verses 1 and 2. But um, anyways, this text, as far as kind of tying this to Biblical Sexuality Sunday, this text teaches us that sexually immoral people, and that would include kind of the whole LGBTQ, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and and two-spirit, and plus whatever else you kind of come up with, that that those kind of people, people who are characterized by that sin, are being disobedient to God, and unless they repent and come to Christ for forgiveness and cleansing, they are on their way to hell. And so we want to make sure that we're clear about what does God say about our sexuality? What does God say about our gender? What does God say about true love and marriage and uh, the way that he has created for us. Our culture and even some so-called Christian pastors would deceive us on this and they would try to tell us that God's wrath will not come upon people for these sins and that these sins do not show whether or not someone is truly saved. But they would be going against God and his word on that point. But this isn't just a sermon for those people. This is a sermon for the church. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian church in this text. And so this text is going to speak to us and our church as well. We need to follow God's word 
And let God decide who will inherit the kingdom of God and Christ. And we're going to look at this under just three very simple headings this this morning. First of all, number one, things that are not to be named among us. At the end of verse uh, six, it says, because of these things. And so we're just going to kind of summarize the whole thing as, as these things. And first of all, we're going to see things that are not to be named among us in verse three. And then secondly, we're going to see things that are out of place or things which are out of place in verse four. And then in verses, verses five and six, we're going to, we're going to call it things to be sure of. Things to be sure of. And, and again, these things are going to show us the difference between true and false believers. And so let's, let's begin, number one, things not to be named among us in verse 3. Things not to be named among us. Look at verse 3. It says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper for saints. As we begin here, notice the word at the very beginning of verse 3, the word but there. Paul is drawing a contrast between love and the things he mentions here and in verse 4. And as I believe I already said, these things are the opposite of biblical love. Now last week when we looked at verses 1 and 2, we defined love as seeking the highest benefit for another person. And love is, is that which gives up self to do good to others. And good is always defined by God and his word. And God himself is the highest good. He's the ultimate good. And so love lays down one's life for others. Whereas these things that we're going to look at here, sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness, these things are really all about the self. Instead of denying self to bless others, these things use others to seek to benefit the self. And so the one is God-centered and the other is self-centered. And the Christian has God as father and follows Jesus Christ who set us an example of love. The Christian lays down his or her life as worship to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and serves others for Jesus' sake. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said in Matthew 16, 24, and 25, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake We'll find it. And so we are those who give up our lives for Jesus' sake, but in losing our lives, we find true life and joy in Jesus, our Savior. But these things, immorality and all of it, are, are the opposite. They're characteristic of unsaved people who seek their own desires and serve themselves instead of God. And so they love themselves, not God, and they live for themselves, not for Jesus' sake. And those who practice these things, again, show themselves to be children of wrath rather, rather than children of God. Now we'll look at these things one by one and, and get an understanding of what they are. But first, let's, let's talk about what it means there where it says that, that they must not even be named among us. They must not even be named among us. Paul says a very similar thing in verse 11 and 12. Look at, at that, chapter 5, verse 11. Take no part 
in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. And so some things are so sinful, some practices are so evil that we shouldn't even speak about them. And I think really when we think about what, 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 what can we speak about and, and what shouldn't we speak about, I think scripture really is our best guide on, on discerning what's appropriate to say and, and what we should avoid. You know, whenever scripture talks about immorality, it, it uses very discreet language. And I think we could take, for example, even the passage we read in, in 2 Samuel chapter 16 and 17 today, where Absalom sets a tent up on the roof of the house and goes into his father's concubines. And it just kind of leaves it there. And it doesn't go into detail about what happened. But I think we, at least the adults in the room, have a very good sense of what happened in in that tent. But when our text says that that these things must not even be named among us, it, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't say the words. In fact, Paul himself just said those words just moments before. It means that, that these things should not at all be happening in our midst. It shouldn't at all be happening in the church. There, we should never be able to say that immorality is happening among us. There should be no impurity or covetous going on in any of our lives. Not, none at all. No one should be able to say, here's some, or, or there's some, or over in, in, that, in that group there's, there's some immorality happening. It, it shouldn't be at all. These things ought to be so far removed from the people of God that there's never an opportunity to say, here it is, or there it is. Now the first one listed in, in verse 3 is sexual immorality. And this is a Greek word that you might know. This is the word porneia. And the English word pornography comes from this word, pornea. This word was used for all kinds of sexual activity outside of a committed marriage relationship. And according to God, our creator, the only rightful place for sexual activity or sexual thoughts even is in the safety of the covenant of marriage. When one man and one woman woman commit themselves to one another Their intimacy in marriage is a gift from God. It's a a good gift from God. And it's actually a picture of the intimacy between Christ and his bride, the church. And there's pleasure and joy between a man and his wife in the marriage union, just as there's pleasure and joy between Christ and the church due to our union with him. And, and, And both of those pleasures are good and they're a holy gift from God. But outside of the marriage covenant, all sexual gratification is sinful and not good and forbidden. Now, porneia in the history of the English language has most often been translated fornication. And it would, it would certainly include fornication, but it's, it's really a broader word than that. As I said, anything of a sexual nature outside of one man and one woman in the covenant relationship of marriage would fall under this word, porneia, anything outside of the marriage relationship. And none of those things ought to be named among us. Nothing of that sort should be happening, not, not even in our thought life, not even in our minds. We should, we should be removed from these sins. And this would include, of, of course, viewing such things, whether that's online or, 
on our phones or computers or televisions or in a, a, a magazine or a book or in any other way, all of those things would be forbidden under that word. And again, that would include everything uh, in the LGBTQ um, acronym or all of that stuff. Now, the next word in verse 3 is translated impurity. And, and Paul says they're all impurity. All impurity must not even be named among you. And, and another translation of that word would be uncleanness. Uncleanness. Every kind of it. All of it. And this word was used for anything dirty or, or filthy. And, and just like the English words, when, when we think about something that's dirty or, or filthy, these words could be used in a moral sense. And that's how it's used here. You know, we, we talk about in English a dirty deed or a, a, a filthy act. And, and what we're talking about, we mean something dishonest or, or vile or wicked. That's a dirty deed. Or if something's filthy, it's, it's immoral, it's, it's vile. And this word was used that way as well, this Greek word. It was used for inappropriate sexual activity, but, but our text kind of broadens it out and, and just says, all impurity is not even to be named among us. You see, we are to be a morally pure people. Nothing dirty or, or impure should be happening anywhere amongst the people of God. We saw this word already in Ephesians 4.19, where it characterized the Gentile unbelievers. Look at Ephesians 4.19 and 20. It says, they have become callous, and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And there's that word there, every kind of impurity. And then verse 20 says, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. You see, love gives itself up for the benefit of others, but this false love gives itself over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity. Now, the third thing that must not even be named among us is covetousness. And the same word is also used in 419, where it's translated there, greedy. Or at least a, a, a same, the, that word comes from the same root there, where it's translated greedy, covetousness. And this word can be translated greedy, greediness, avarice, maybe a, a word you haven't heard before, but it's, it's kind of a, a, a lustful word, a, a word that speaks about the desires, wanting stuff, just like being greedy or, or covetousness. It's also connected to a desire to have more than one's due. And, and again, this could be in any sphere. This could be speaking about purity, like we saw in Ephesians 4, a covetousness after whatever. The covetous person wants more than is due to them. And so a, a greedy person or a covetous person is not satisfied with what they have and they want something else. And they're not satisfied in God because they're not satisfied in God. They seek after what never truly satisfies with a continual lust for more. See, the, the covetous person needs more money. They need more possessions. They need more thrills. They need more entertainment. They need more drinking. They need more drugs. They need more of whatever they're trying to use to fill their life but we know from God's word that only God can truly satisfy. And so there's always this appetite for more in the greedy person. And such an attitude should not be found among us as believers. 
Hebrews 13.5 is a, a great verse there. It says there to keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we should not be covetous for anything because we really have the greatest thing as believers in Christ. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a relationship with Jesus Christ, one that satisfies, one that we can be content in, and we know that he will never leave us or forsake us, and so we don't need to pursue anything beyond the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? What more could we ask for than Jesus Christ? There's really nothing else in this universe that will satisfy. And so we should be a people without covetousness. We have salvation in Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven. We are justified and reconciled to God. Through Jesus Christ, we have access to God and we have God himself as our, our joy and peace and pleasure. He is our inheritance. We're going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. In in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live in this life for, for Jesus and to worship God. And so we really have everything that we need in Christ. We should not be seeking anything more than that. Now, notice again at the end of verse three, it says, as is proper among saints. As is proper among saints. You see, if we are Christians, we are saints and we are God's holy people. We belong to him. That's the idea of saints. We've been adopted into God's family. We are God's children. And as his children, there's a a proper behavior that we should have. As, As saints, there's a proper way of acting. There's a proper way of behaving and there's improper ways. The proper way for saints is to imitate God, to imitate our Father and to walk in love. But the improper way for saints is immorality, impurity, covetousness, and and things like these. That behavior is not loving others. And it's not love no matter matter what you call it. The world wants to say something like love is love, but it's it's not love. It's not God-centered. It's not giving up your life for another person. And it's not proper for a believer ever to walk in these sins. Sexual immorality, impurity, or covetousness. Now let's go secondly then, number two. We see here things which are out of place in verse four. Things which are out of place. Again, the word of God says, let there be no filthiness, nor Foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. These ones move from from actions, and they mostly focus on speech, although the the first word here, filthiness, is... um, maybe also applies to our actions, but it it, it speaks of of speech or, or conduct which causes shame. That's the idea of this word filthiness. Let there be no filthiness. Speech or conduct which causes shame. Anything which is dishonoring, shameful, base, disgraceful. And it's, it's really difficult to know exactly what Paul has in mind. And, and probably that's the point. It, he doesn't have anything particular in mind. It's just that there should be nothing disgraceful, Nothing shameful, nothing, um, nothing of the sort should be happening in our midst. Clinton, Clinton Arnold, uh, commentator 
on the book of Ephesians says, quote, the specific kinds of behaviors that Paul has in mind are difficult to know, but certainly it, and he's talking about this word filthy, filthiness here, certainly it could extend to lewd gestures, inappropriate touching, disgusting kinds of practical jokes, and a wide variety of other behavior, end quote. The other thing that would fall under this word would be cursing and, and swearing, would fit under this idea of filthiness. Cursing, swearing, dirty jokes as well, apparently. The, the next word then, translated foolish talk, the Greek word here is morologia, and that's made up of two words in the Greek. Moros is where we get our English word moron from. Uh, it's, it refers to something that's foolish or silly or moronic. Uh, a logia is a, a word or a saying. And so the idea, again, is, is foolish sayings, foolish speech, foolish talking. And in fact, the Legacy Standard Bible does translate it foolish talk. A few weeks ago, we looked at Ephesians 4 and verse 29, which gives us really the opposite of this. It says there, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And so there was to be no corrupting talk, no bad talk, no rotten talk. And now Paul's even expanding on this and he's saying there should be no foolish, moronic speaking happening either. Our words are instead to give grace to those who hear us. They're, they're to fit the need of the listener like we learned about when we looked at that passage. But, but foolish talk would really do the opposite of that. And so that's not to be among us. That would be out of place. And then the third thing which is out of place there is crude joking. The Legacy Standard Bible translates this one coarse jesting. And this word means sarcastic or ridicule, or again, coarse joking, or, or what we might call a risque wit, kind of a, kind of like on the line, kind of a, a, a quick thinking person that, that, but it's kind of on the, the verge of inappropriate. And the idea of this word relates to what we m- might call the, uh, the ability to turn a phrase. You know, we're, we're talking about a wittiness here and, and an ability to make a quick joke. And, and these quick jokes are kind of on the line of, of being inappropriate. And so we should probably think in terms of jokes that, that make inappropriate connections or a kind of joking that, that's sarcastic and, and hurtful to others. These are things that, that shouldn't be happening amongst us. Now, Paul's not saying here that we should never tell a joke. And so we got to kind of be properly balanced here. He's not saying that we should never tell a joke. He's not saying that there's there's no place for humor amongst God's people, but, but humor that puts others down or, or ridicules them or is inappropriate in some way is not fitting with who we are in Christ. And so it's, it's out of place. And once again, these things are contrary to the love that should exist among the saints. In love, we should be building one another up with our words. And if you think about it, why, why do we ridicule somebody? Why do we ridicule somebody or why do we tell coarse jokes? What, what are we doing it for? Well, it, it's certainly not to give grace to those who hear. And often this kind of speech, these kinds of, of joking comes from a selfish desire, whether that's a desire to be liked 
or maybe to protect oneself from conversations that you don't want to have, maybe serious conversations. But love means putting away certain forms of shallow speech. Again, there's a, there's a, there's a certain place for jovialness. There's a place for jokes. I, I don't want to be a, a, a group that never jokes and never has a good time. That's not what Paul's saying here. But there's a type of speech that's appropriate for saints. And there's a type of speech that we shouldn't. There's a place for some kinds of sarcasm, but we need to be careful about our words because we are a holy people. We are God's children and we're on this earth to glorify God with our words and actions and thoughts. Proverbs ten nineteen might kind of help us to think about this a little bit. It says there, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And so there's a certain type of restraint that we should have on our lips when it comes to these things. James chapter 3 talks about how difficult it is to tame our tongues, but it's really such an important part of the Christian life is to, to control what we say. A great prayer in this regard would be Psalm 19.14 where uh, David says, Let the words of my mouth... And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And so it's a prayer there that the words that come out of our mouth and the things that we're thinking about in our hearts, that they would be pleasing to the Lord, acceptable to the Lord. He is our rock and our redeemer. Now, according to verse four, these things are out of place. And the idea there is that they don't belong. They They don't fit. Again, they don't fit with love and they don't fit with our salvation. They don't fit with who we are in Jesus Christ. And instead of these things, Paul says there should be thanksgiving. There should be thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is is really an antidote for many sins, but especially for these sins that Paul has just mentioned. If we would be thankful, we would put off these sins. We should be a thankful people. We should be thankful for others. We should be thankful for what God's doing in our life. And so if you want to stop these forms of, of speech and these kinds of behavior, then start thanking God for everything that he brings into your life. And, and soon you'll note that those things start to, to go away. And so instead of those, Paul suggests, let there be thanksgiving. And so that was number two, things which are out of place, things which aren't fitting. Now, number three, things that we are to be sure of, things to be sure of in verses five and six, things to be sure of. He says there, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so again, this is a warning for the Ephesians. And it's a warning for us. Just as we saw last week that love is a sign of someone who is born of God and and knows God, 1 John 4, 7. So immorality, impurity, and covetousness which is greed and idolatry, these are signs of one who does not know God. And this is a solemn warning then about the the danger of the sins listed in verses 4 and 5. You see, 
you might think, well, I, you know, I'm just lacking in love. But it could very well be, according to this text, that you are actually lacking eternal life. You are lacking salvation. Sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness, which is a form of idolatry, could be very well signs that you are headed for hell. And so this is so important, friends. This is not something that we should just kind of lightly pass over. The word for at the beginning of verse 5, for you may be sure of this, gives the reason that all of these things that we've been looking at should not be named among us. And this is the reason why these things are out of place. For, For you may be sure of this. And the reason that these things, it, it, the reason is, is that these things are characteristic of those who will not inherit the kingdom. These are characteristics that fit with unbelievers, not with believers. And so this is a strong warning to anyone who would dabble with the sins in verses 3 and 4. Now I'm not sure if you, if you noticed, but in, in case you didn't, there's a there's a repetition of the same three sins from verse 3. Sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. And, and this time it's used to speak of a person who is sexually immoral. Not just a person, who, not just the doing of that thing, but a person now who is sexually immoral. Or a person who is impure. Or a person who is covetous. And the focus isn't then on the act, but on a person who is characterized by those sins. A sexually immoral person is somebody whose life is characterized by the sin of sexual immorality. A greedy person or a covetous person is somebody who is habitually marked by greedy desires. And Paul is saying, listen, Ephesians, you know that no person who is immoral, impure, or covetous is going to heaven. Inheriting the kingdom is a way of referring to the thousand year reign of Christ after which is the new heaven and the new earth that we typically refer to just as as heaven. And so he's saying, you know, Ephesians, that no person who is immoral, impure or covetous has an inheritance in this kingdom. They are not on their way to heaven. Listen to how the Legacy Standard Bible translates the first part of verse five. It says there, For this you know with certainty. This you know with certainty that no one who is sexually immoral or impure or greedy, who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or God. And so Paul believes that this is something that that the Ephesians already know. It's literally there, you know this knowingly, or, or you know this Knowing, And so there's a a double knowledge here. And and Paul is certain that they know that no person who is these things, who is characterized by these sins, is going to heaven. And then in verse 6, he adds, let no one deceive you. Now in our kind of contemporary world, in our contemporary culture, and even amongst some, you know, again, like I would say, so-called Christian pastors... I think that there are actually many in evangelicalism who are deceived on this very point. And I think there could be many people even even that, that attend church regularly that think they're on their way to heaven, but their lives are unaffected by this holy God who has supposedly saved them. And some people even preach the gospel this way. They, they preach that, that the God 
that, that you can just come to Jesus and continue to, to live in these sins, but that is not the case. The gospel is a, a call to repent and believe. It's a call to turn away from these sins. It's really a call to turn away from all sin and follow Jesus Christ with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so the gospel is a call to turn, to repent and believe, and that's our message. The gospel, then, the, the, the saved person is one who's going to continue to fight sin by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, and that's, that's really our message. And so many are, are deceived about this, but just look at the text again. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. I should probably just say at some point here that that an idolater there is somebody who worships something other than God. Right? When, when we worship anything, it could be, could be anything in life. When we want something more than we want God, we are committing idolatry and, and covetousness shows an idolatry of the heart that we are wanting things. We are worshiping things other than God. And our salvation is really designed to, to satisfy us in God, to satisfy us in Christ. And we're to turn from our former lives and, and deny our lives and live our lives from that day forward, from the day of our salvation forward. We're to live for Jesus Christ. We're to live for his sake. And so we are to flee from idolatry. Now don't misunderstand here because this is, this is really important. There are, there are many people who were once immoral or once impure or once covetous and wicked and and idolaters and they do have an inheritance in the kingdom but but really what's happened is they've been changed they've been cleansed by the sacrifice of Christ when someone becomes a christian they are not only forgiven of their past sins but they also become an entirely new person now a christian could struggle with one of these sins they could be tempted or or even at times give in to one of these sins for a time but but no true Christian is characterized by these sins. And so I, I don't want you to, to go away here. I know that there's some with a, a very sensitive conscience who are, are, are going to go, man, I wonder if I'm not saved because I've, I've struggled with this sin and I, I continue to struggle with it. But a Christian is one who is turning from those sins and fighting those sins and hates those sins, not one who is given over to those sins. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Somebody who is, is just given over. But at the same time, do, I, I wouldn't want to soften this too much. You need to be careful that you, you cannot dabble in these sins. These are dangerous, dangerous things that could show, again, that you're on your way to hell. And so a Christian is one who's been delivered from these kinds of selfish sins so that they no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Now, as we think about this, I, I want to turn to just a couple of parallel passages. I want you to let's go first to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll look at verses 9 to 11 there. First Corinthians 6 9, Paul asks, 
Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so it shows that for all of these sins, there is salvation for these things, but that salvation, again, involves a transformation and a turning and a cleansing and a sanctification and a, a justification. You are, you are being made more and more holy and like Christ in sanctification, and you are declared righteous and right with God through justification. And so we could have once been like that, but anyone who is currently unrighteous, Paul says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And there's another parallel passage over in Galatians chapter 5. And so turn, turn there with me as well. Galatians 5, a text we know very well. Paul says there, in, starting in verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Notice here what he says, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now all of these passages, these three passages, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, Galatians 5, 19 to 21, and our passage in Ephesians 5, 3 to, 3 to 5, 3 to 6, all show that that you're either a Christian or you aren't. And if you are saved, there will be a change. The Holy Spirit is going to produce good fruit in your life. And you will be washed and sanctified. And you will begin to love God and love others. You see, salvation affects our lives. Salvation changes us and, and transfers us from one state to another, from the state of unsaved to the state of saved, from, from being uh, darkened in our sin to being followers of Christ and God. Salvation opens our eyes and changes the direction of our lives. And so if you are saved, there will be a change. The Holy Spirit will produce good fruit in your life. But if those things don't happen, then you have to examine yourself. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, he says, Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, he says, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. And so when we are truly saved, Christ comes into us and, and, and we can't stay the same. And we turn from sin and we, we fight sin the rest of our lives and we grow to be more and more like Christ, which involves growing in love and putting away 
sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, idolatry, and all of these sinful things that Paul talks about in our text. Hebrews 12.14, again, very similarly says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And so we ought to strive for peace with everyone, but we also ought to strive for this holiness. And without it, Paul says, or or the, the author of Hebrews says, that no one will see the Lord. And so we ought to be certain about this, brethren, that without a transformed life, we are not saved. And we're not talking about perfection here again. We're we're not talking about some kind of external works that we need to do. We're talking about a, a genuine change, a turning from sin. We're talking about a new direction. We're talking about love and holiness and the fruit of the spirits, the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we're talking about an obedience of life. That is a mark of the new creation. And so then I ask you then this morning that, that, that we really need to do this. We need to examine ourselves. Are you a beloved child or are you a son of disobedience? Do not be deceived. Sins like immorality, impurity, covetousness, if they characterize your life, they show again that you are on your way to hell. And don't listen to anyone who tells you that these sins are not a big deal. These sins are a very big deal according to our text. Brothers and sisters, we need to take sin seriously. We need to seek first our Lord's kingdom and his righteousness. We need to pursue holiness and live lives to glorify God. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this passage, this warning. Father, we pray for, for those who are among us, that if there are any here who are characterized by these sins, who are on their way to hell, or even just For anyone here who's not saved, Father, we pray that you would turn them from the wrath of God, that you would turn them to Christ, that you would change their lives by your grace and produce love and joy and peace and all the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. Father, we pray for those who maybe struggle in some of these particular areas, struggle with these sins. We ask that that you would help all of us to put these things off as believers in Christ. That you would help us to be an obedient and holy and loving and worshiping people. Father, we pray that you would help us to pursue holiness, to live and seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. That we would be a people that lives our lives to glorify you. And again, we just pray for anyone who may be struggling with these sins, that you would help them to put it off, that you would help them to get the help that they need. And that even this message, that this word, that this warning would, would work powerfully by your grace, that we would all flee from sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, idolatry, filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking. But Father, instead, let there be thanksgiving, let there be love, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.